in India, um, the, the uh, typical place where people live, you hear about these huge cities, but that's uh, uh, not the typical. Most people live in little villages, and there are only about 1,000 people. Uh, it amazes me just to think in reading just regularly that there are literally more than one, hundreds of thousands. That's just such a, a large number, isn't it? Hundreds of thousands of villages in India that don't have a single church. And that's just astounding, even with all that God has done in India. Hundred, I'm not talking about 100,000, hundreds of thousands. They're usually not huge villages, a thousand or so. I don't know what that comes up to. But without a single believer, isn't that amazing? And so just, I read about these people all the time, and I go, how can it be that no one's ever been reached? You know, this particular group is K-I-R-A-R. -R. I don't know how to pronounce that, Kurar. And almost all of them live uh, right in the middle of India, see? right there in the central part of India. And what's interesting when you study their history is they all came from one, from one village, from one city, all of them, um, then migrated. So this is the Kirar people, are agricultural people who live in the middle of India. They are descendants of the Rajputs, but the Rajputs refuse to accept them <laughs> as belonging to their community. Their name comes, the name Kirar, from one village in the state of Rajasthan where they all originally lived before they began their migrating across India. Currently, they're close to a million. Uh, they almost always live near riverbanks where they cultivate cotton, sugarcane, grain, sorghum, lentils, and other crops. They're considered a backward caste and are eligible for reserved places in public jobs and education because of their low standing. Uh, about 80% of the men are illiterate. Only 50% of the women can read and write. Hinduism is ingrained in their culture. Many can't read and write, so the gospel must be presented to them in creative oral ways. There are presently not a single known believer among the Karar. Would you ask the Lord to send Hindu background believers to share the love of Christ with these people? Pray for a move of Jesus to heal and strengthen their communities. Pray God softens hearts that they might hear the love of Jesus. Pray for God to win many to himself and for Bible-believing churches to rise up in their communities. Amen? K-I-R-A-R. -R. And there are about 866,000. And there's a picture of one man who's a Kurar, however you pronounce it. Interesting how different people in different places of India look, isn't it? Such a diverse uh, culture. So maybe somebody would intercede for the uh, Kurar uh, people. So who would pray for the Kurars? Amen. In the name of Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yes, thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we'll start with the young ones again. Is Jonathan awake? Yeah, I want to. I want to ask him about two games so you can come and maybe these young ones who are growing fast will, will, will talk with me also. You have to come talk with me. See if you can explain some things to me. So as a kid, I love to play games. Do you like to play games? I do. So one of the most common games in the world we play is hide-and-seek. How do you play hide-and-seek? If you had like a group here, if you had about a dozen people, do you remember? There are actually more than one way to play hide-and-seek. I'm going to tell you one you've probably never done. But what is typically the way to play hide-and-seek? Do you know hide-and-seek? How do you play? You forgot what happened. So that is a, so. typically what you do, if you had all of us here, maybe we'd make Mark uh, it. How about that? So we would make Mark. You pick one person to be it, like Mark, and then what do the rest of us do? We hide. So let's say we're playing in the whole church. So Mark's it, and we all hide all over the church. And Mark begins to do what? He begins to seek us. Now, what does he do when he finds somebody? He finds booty. Hiding in the bathroom. Okay, so so uh, Mark finds booty. What what happens then? What happens then when he finds booty? She starts to help him. That's exactly right. She starts to help him. So she starts to help him. And so as they look for people, they're now two looking for the other ten or so. And every time someone's found. Uh, they then help look for everybody else. And finally, it gets to where there's only one person, right? One person that nobody can find. And, you know, people say, well, they win the game because it was hardest to find them. Well, I want to tell you a way, which was one of my favorite games when we lived down in Newberry, was we prayed hide-and-seek a second way. It's completely different. And this game is actually called Sardines. This game's called Sardines, okay? It's uh, completely different. And with hide-and-seek, one person's it and everybody else hides. With sardines, it's different. You have, uh, what happens with sardines is one person hides. Only one. So in this case, Mark would be it again, and Mark would get to go hide anywhere. And we would play in pitch black dark at night in a huge, big church that had many different floors in many places. And there goes Mark, and he hides. And everyone else is it. It might be a dozen of us. And then once we've given him enough time to hide, everyone begins to look for Mark. And what do you think happens when somebody finds Mark? They hide with him. You're exactly right. Madeline's got it. They hide with him. So you can imagine if two or three or four or five, you know, every time somebody finds the group, they hide with them. 
So finally the game ends with one person <laughs> who's searching all over this church with this group of sardines who are crammed together. And they actually call... I know. <laughs> so actually our youth group, uh, our youth group absolutely loved sardines much more than hide and seek. And so we would play sardines all the time. Well, what I want to talk to you about, and, and you probably figured it out, that uh, hide and seek with God uh, is not a game. Hide and seek with God is not a game. And I want to read a verse to you. Uh, in the very beginning of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve, after they sinned, what happened? They wouldn't seek God anymore, would they? What would they do now? Hide. So I want you to listen how it's described. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife did what? One of the saddest things when you read the whole sentence, hid themselves away from the presence of the Lord. Wow. They did not want the presence of the Lord anymore. So instead of seekers, they were what? Hiders. So here they are hiding. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, and the Lord God called to them, Where are you? And they answered, and they said, I heard the sound of you, and I was what? Afraid. I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid. You know what one of the worst things about sin is? Sin makes you hide from God, even somebody as young as Jonathan and all of us. One of the horrible, horrible, horrible effects of the sin in our heart is it makes us not want the presence of the Lord. And we will do anything and everything to hide from God's presence. And you know what else sin does, Joel? Sin doesn't just make us hide from God. It makes us hide from each other. There was a pastor friend of mine in New England who I knew very well and that man was unknown by anybody, including his wife and his one, two, three, four children. He would build up walls and isolate himself. I remember Michael Card talking about how his father, he grew up in the home with a father who was a physician, 900 plus patients. And he says his, his dad would come home from a long day at the hospital and taking care of people and immediately would go into his room and shut and lock the door and hide himself from his family. And Michael Carr said as a little boy, he used to crawl over and stick his fingers under the door. He said, I just wanted my presence of my dad so bad, but my dad was always hiding from me. So what happens is sin not only makes us isolate ourselves from a healthy relationship with God, we isolate ourselves from people. And that's why it's hard to develop close relationships of love because sin's always making us hide. We build up walls. We figure out ways that this person isn't going to really know me. We're scared. And just like Adam and Eve, they were what? Scared. And so you hide from God, and we're scared of being known. Because we're afraid if somebody really knows us, they what? 
They won't love us. They won't love us. And so we have to figure out how to hide. So what I want to talk about today is the opposite. How can we become seekers, not hiders? In our relationships with God and our relationships with people. I know this because I see the sin in my own heart. I am a loner. Angela will tell you I'm a loner, so I have to I have to fight it. You know, I could be off hiking, you know, for probably not just three hours. How about three weeks? You could stick me out for three weeks in the unknown, and I'd probably forget about everybody. Which isn't a good thing, is it? It's not a good thing. So by nature, I'm a loner. By nature, I hide. Yeah, and that's not healthy. At least God's shown me that. That's not healthy. So for all of us, when we hide, sin is a nasty thing. And sin will make you hide from God and hide from people. And that will cripple your relationship with God, and it will cripple your relationship with people. And thank God for the cross. Because God wants us to stop being hiders and learn how to be what? Seekers. So what we're going to talk about is how can that happen? How can we become seekers instead of hiders? Amen? So let me pray. Father, sin is horrible. And ever since Eden, uh, first sin came into the world, the very first thing Adam and Eve did was hide from the presence of the Lord. And it says that when they heard you, that they actually were afraid and hid. And so much of our life is based on being afraid and hiding. And Lord, we want to be true seekers. So we ask in Jesus' name that you'll teach us. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hide and seek is a good game, but it's not good for life. All right? So I'm going to ask you two questions just to think about a lot. You don't need to answer them. Uh, I just want you to think about them in your head, okay? And as you think about them in your head, hopefully as we look at Scripture, God will begin to give you His own instruction how He would answer those questions to you. So the two questions I want you to ponder are, number one, what are our two greatest needs? And I don't say one, I say two. So what are our two greatest needs? Don't answer that, just think about it. And then the second question is, I'm going to call 2020. Uh, 2020 is the year of the blank. Now, if you talk to a Chinese or if you talk to a Japanese, because the Japanese often adopted the Chinese calendar, does anybody know what 2020 is according to their calendar? The year of the what? The year of the rat. (laughs) It's the year of the rat. Alberta doesn't like that, but 2020 is the year, and you'll have to look that up on yourself. 2020 is the year of the rat. And so what we're going to do is ask two questions. 2020 is really the year of the what? And what are our two greatest needs? And we're going to use Psalm 139 uh, as the Lord's now word to ponder these questions. So the first thing I want to do is just read it, and you're going to get a chance just to talk to me also. So as we read it, let's read it and talk the whole psalm. This is actually a psalm of uh, David. So David penned this. And I want to read the whole psalm, or most of it, not all of it, um, but um, a good portion of 139, okay? And I'll 
start with verse 1. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 18 and then the conclusion, uh, which is 23 and 24. So this is Psalm 139. Lord, I do pray that you, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, would give us ears to hear this holy, 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 life-changing word. Your word is priceless, a treasure is truth, and it works miracles inside our soul. And uh, we invite you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Some of the words or phrases are not there, and you'll see me pin them out or just take them out. And then I'm going to repeat certain words because they're meant to be repetitive, and then I'll add in the additional word used, okay? So it starts off like this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known. So you have searched me and known. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you know my thoughts from afar, understanding them, you know my path and scrutinize it, you know my lying down, you know and are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me or surrounded me or sieged me. Literally, it's sieged. You've sieged me behind and before. And you've laid your hand, your good hand, your blessing hand, your love hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too great to know. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, again, it's your hand, your good hand, your blessing hand, your love hand will lead me. And your right hand will take hold of me. If I complain, but surely this darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, but even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to thee. For you did form my inward parts, you weaved me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well." My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully woven in the depths of the earth, like God from way up in heaven, reaching down, down, down into the depths of earth and in a womb of a woman, weaving you. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book they were all written, the days that were planned for me, when as yet there was not a single one of them. How priceless are these plans to me, O oh God! How vast is the sum of them! If I try to count them, they outnumber the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me, or test me. Know my anxious thoughts, my anxieties. See if there's any hurtful, harmful, painful, sinful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way the Jesus way, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Okay. So as you look at this, one thing they want you to see right away, some people even call this the search me psalm, right? And they call it the search me psalm because what you'll notice is the contrast between that word used right at the very beginning and right at the very end. But in the very beginning, in what tense? Verse 1. Past tense. So David says, this is something that has happened in the past. You have searched me. 
But after the whole psalm is almost over and you get to the conclusion in verse 23, uh, he all of a sudden changes the tense to what? Present, search me. So what he's saying is, you have searched me, but I want you to search me now, and I want you to keep searching me. So there's this real theme that the God who has searched me, David has a heart cry for a present searching, which if you read it in context, is also pointing to the what? future. So, so what he says is, the God who has searched me, I am crying to you, search me now, and I want you to keep searching me. Next week, next month, next year, uh, I want you to search me. Uh, it's very interesting. Now, in the context, that word is actually defined um, with six words or phrases. See if you can catch them when you turn to 23 and 24. So when he's defining what it means when he cries to God, search me, um, he actually uses six phrases to define that. Uh, so if you go all the way to verse 23, what's the first one? He says, search me and what? Know my heart. So it's very interesting. So when he's asking God to search him, it's a cry that God would know the deepest part of his soul, that he would know his heart of hearts. I want you, God, to know everything about the deepest part of my motives, my being, who I really am in my heart of hearts. I want you, other people might not really know me, but I want you, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, to really know my heart. So search me, know my heart, then what? Test me. That's what that word actually means. So he's actually asking. I want you to think about this for a minute. Catch that. Remember when we were reading about Abraham and it says, and God tested Abraham? And we read the whole passage. David wants to be tested. Now, I have students in a lot of the subjects that I tutor, and most of them don't want to be tested. And sometimes they know examination time is coming, and they might have to do it and get through with it. Like I have a guy having a calculus exam on Tuesday, and he's already begging me for Monday night tutoring. Uh, and he knows he's going to be tested. David wants God to test him. Now, isn't that interesting? It's actually a prayer. Do you ever, I don't know, have you, do you pray that way regularly? You know, do all of us in there, do you find yourself asking God to test you and to try you? Well, he is. So David is saying, search me, one. Two, know my heart. Three, test me. And then number four, what does he confess? His anxieties, you know. Anyone deal with anxieties? You know, raise your hand. And he actually is praying. Isn't that interesting? He's saying to God, God, I want you to know all these anxieties that grip my heart. No one else might not understand them, but I want you. So he's saying, search me, know my heart. I want to be tested, know my anxieties. Number five, what's he asking? Some texts use a different word. Mine uses the word see. Uh, some texts use the word examine me. It's like uh, uh, going to the doctor for a checkup when you want the, the doctor to examine you. So you go to the doctor and you say, Doctor, I'm ready for my physical examination because I want you to examine me to see what? Yeah, is there something wrong? I want, to, I want to be healthy, so I want you to examine me. And so David says, the translation sometimes, it's actually the same word used to describe uh, Jabez, born with pain. Uh, but he's saying, is there anything painful in me? Painful or harmful? Some translations use harmful. Some even use evil. Or some uh, use the word sinful. But what he's basically saying is, Lord, I want you to give me a heart examination. So anything in my soul that's unhealthy, 
whether it's harmful or painful or hurtful or dirty, I want you to examine that. And then the last thing he says is, what does he want God to do? Lead him. He says, I want you to lead me in what's called the everlasting way, what we know is the Jesus way. So it's interesting that he is talking about this searching, but he gives a very thorough explanation of what he means, doesn't he? So when he asks God to search him, he's actually using six phrases to describe what he's after. What he's after. Now I want you to think about something. We just talked about hide and seek, right? So sin makes you hide from God. Sin makes, right? What's going on with David here? I don't think the man is hiding, right? So what is going on in David's soul? Sin by its nature makes us hide from God and from each other. In a certain sense, it's like we don't want to be known. Whether it's by God or by people, we do not want to be known. But something's going on here with David, isn't it? Because he's doing the exact opposite. Instead of hiding, he's seeking. He says, God, you have searched me, and I want what? More. I want you to keep searching me now, and I can even tell you I want it in the future. So something remarkable is going on with David. So another question for you to think about uh, in terms of this psalm. Um, do you find yourself crying out from your heart this same cry of David? Is that a regular cry that comes out of your soul? Do you find your soul regularly saying, search me, God? God, I want you to know my heart. Try me, God. Test me, God. I want you to know my anxieties. I yearn for you to examine me for anything in me and then lead me in your way. Do you find that heart cry just coming out of your soul regularly with God like David was describing here? And we're going to talk about a couple things, why or why not. So let's outline the psalm first, okay? So if you outline it, you probably caught it, uh, the search me introduction and conclusion. So very clear. So the psalm deliberately starts with a search me introduction and conclusion, verse 1 and verse 23 and 24. Verses 2 through 6 are about the omniscience of God, God knowing what? Everything. Verses 7 through 12 are about the omnipresence of God, God being present where? Everywhere. In verses 13 through 18, the, what do you guess? The omnipotence of God, about God being all-powerful. You notice how that's being pulled together? So we're starting off with the omniscience of God, 2 through 6, then the omnipresence of God, 7 through 12, then the omnipotence of God, 13 through 18. So another question, another question, actually really two questions. What connects these three? You don't have to answer that yet. What connects the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God? What connects these? And secondly, what connects them to the theme of search me? What do they have to do with search me? What do they have to do with the search me cry? Aren't those valid questions? Uh, what's going on here with omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence? And with those three, what connects them to each other? And what connects them to this searching theme? Good questions, right? So let's go through the three paragraphs, and I think you'll actually see it. Let's start with the omniscience of God, all right, with God's omniscience, and you'll catch certain themes even as you hear it. So David has said flat out, uh, you already in the past tense searched me, 
and you have known me, right? You have searched me. Actually, it doesn't say known me. What it really says is you have searched me and you have known. You have known. You have known. Now, let's look at what he describes here. He says, you know when I what? Sit down. There are eight. Actually, I think there are at least eight here what he says God knows about. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You know my thoughts from afar. And that word actually means more than just know. It means you understand them. You, you, you not only know my thoughts from afar, uh, you understand it inside and out. You know my path. And that word really is bigger than just know and you scrutinize it. You, you know everything about my path, right? And not just my path, my what? Lying down. Then he says, you know all my ways, but this word is a much deeper word. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. All of a sudden you begin to see something else going on here, right? You, you not only know all of my ways, you're intimately, you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Before there is a word on my tongue, you what? You know it. And then really, another point, you know what? The know There's one real know-it-all. You know, we often try to be know-it-alls, don't we? There is a know-it-all. God, you know it all. You know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. This is a picture, actually, of a siege. This is the same word used when an army um, sieges a city or a nation and just surrounds it where you can't get out. Except the great thing about this is it's a love siege. You ever heard of a love siege? He goes, God, you've love sieged me. You've surrounded me behind and apart. I'm running from you, but you what? <laughs> you love me too much. You've just surrounded me. And no way I'm getting away from your love. You've just surrounded me with your love. And laid, verse, at the end of verse 5, laid your hand upon me. It doesn't just mean hand. That word means the hand of God, the good hand of God, the blessing hand of God, the love hand of God. God has laid his hand of love on us. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. <laughs> it's just too much, isn't it? It's so great, I can't what? Do you notice the contrast deliberately? It's deliberately using a play on words. It's so great, I can't know it. I can't know it. You know it all. But this knowing is so great that I just can't take it in. I can't know it. I can't know it. Now, you'll see it when we go to the next phrase, too, but this isn't just about the omniscience of, omniscience of God, is it? No, we're going to actually see. It's much more than just omniscience, isn't it? It's not just saying God's a know-it-all. He's saying much more than that. Let's go to the next things. And then he wants to talk about the omnipresence of God. Now, David understands sin, doesn't he? Because the first thing he talks about is doing what from God's presence? Fleeing. In fact, everything about this next paragraph is trying to run away from God. Did you catch that? Everything. I mean, he's trying to flee from God. And he's even talking about this fleeing. Where can I flee from your spirit? Just like Adam and Eve, right? They're hiding from the presence of God. Where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I flee from your what? Presence. Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They did not want to be in God's presence. 
Even believers say that today at times. There's a certain fear and trembling. What if God manifested his full glory and holiness? You know? Do you remember the change in Moses' life? Have you ever noticed the deliberate change in Exodus and Moses' life? God manifests his presence in the burning bush, and Moses is what? Afraid of it. He is afraid of the presence of God. You get all the way to Exodus 33? Is he afraid now? He's a different man. Show me your glory. He was not saying, show me your glory in the beginning of Exodus. You know, but something's happened to Moses. Now all of a sudden, he's yearning for the presence of God, hungering for the presence of God, seeking the presence of God. He's not hiding anymore. He's not hiding. So here he's talking about all these ways of hiding. Where can I go from you, God? Where can I flee from your presence? I run away. I try to go all the way to heaven, but you're what? There, you know, you make it to Pluto. Did it work? No, God's there. I make my bed in the place of the dead. That's a good place to hide from God. How about in the place of the dead? Is he there? Yep, that didn't work. So now what am I going to do? I'm going to take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the remotest part of the whole ocean. (laughs) He's working hard to get away from God. But what happens when he does that? Even there, and he uses the phrase again, he's talking to himself. Even there, your hand, your good hand, your powerful hand, your blessing hand, your love hand will grab me at the bottom of the ocean. I can't get away from there. (laughs) But then I say this darkness is overwhelming me. You know, this light around me is night. And what does he say about the darkness? It's not dark to you. Dark and dark are the same. So in your darkest night, in your place where there's no light, no presence of God, no feeling of God, complete abandonment, even there he is what? Emmanuel. He's right there with you, with his good hand on you. Now you're beginning to catch what David is putting together. He's not just talking about the omnipresence of God, is he? You know, then the third paragraph, the omnipotence of God. Same kind of a thing. He's going to focus on two things especially, God's power in creating you and God's power in planning your life. You did form my inward parts. You weaved me in my mother's womb. It does really grieve my heart. It's so sad to see in some things you just have to accept on such a good friend of mine and... Uh, um, Booty knew Scott Duckett, and he, and Scott Duckett could do anything with his hands. And man, the man's hands are just amazing. Put a musical instrument in his hands, watch that guy play a musical instrument. And a carpenter, he could build anything. Built their house, and if you've ever gone to, over to his house before he passed, and the furniture he would build, he was the best woodworker you've ever seen. And, and then he gets Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, kind of a disease, and uh, he can't use his hands anymore. He can't use his hands, and his hands just made things with such love. And uh, Angela's mom, she just loved quilting, and she would go to quilting class every week, every week. So one night a week, she'd go to quilting class for like three and a half, four hours, drive 30 minutes, spend three hours there, come back. I remember her husband used to drive her just to take her to the class, come back. And she's done a quilt for every one of her grandchildren, everyone on every side. And, you know, when she made those quilts, and I can tell you this, just guarantee every single stitch was a stitch of love. <laughs> Isn't that something? 
She's just making a masterpiece. It's not just a quilt, is it? It's not just a quilt. Oh, my goodness. It's a grandmother's love. Now, this is so much more. How much more God? Isn't that something, Sonia, just to think? Just to think, isn't it just a staggering thought that when she was in her mother's womb, that here's God all the way from heaven reaching down into the depths of the earth, reaching into her mother's womb, and he is just stitching Sonia together. And every single stitch is just love, love, love. He's putting it together. He's rejoicing. He's celebrating. He's making a masterpiece. It's just a spectacular work of love. Isn't that? We are what? God's masterpiece. God is just stitching you. He's not just making you. He's weaving you in your mother's womb. It's just the most, every little stitch is love, love, love. Every little thing he's putting together. And before you're even born, what does he do? My frame wasn't hidden from you. I was made in secret, skillfully woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, they were all written. Every single day planned for me. You know, it used to be my mother loved these. I couldn't get her into technology. Sometimes you can't get old people in technology. My mother used to get the, the day planners. She used to go to the store and buy them little black book thick things. And then when one year ended and the next year ended, she would go buy that. And then she has to transfer everything because she's got so much information in her, in her planner from one year. And she's going to transfer. I said, Mom, you just get it in the computer and it automatically transfers to the next year. Wow, and got to write it down. It's so awesome. But she loved her what? Day planner. Isn't it great to think that God has a day planner for Mark and Laura? So God had the Laura day planner. Isn't that staggering? He planned every single day of her life in his planner. Is that not unbelievable? And what is the point of the passage? That it's all love. He, God is just saying, can I love her a billion different ways? <laughs> and he's saying, January the 12th, 2020. He said, Laura, I planned your January 12th, 2020. And I planned it with love, 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 love. I just poured my love into the plans of your life. Isn't that staggering? Just think, mind-boggling. <laughs> In your book, they were all written every day you planned for me. Before there was a single one. That's why he goes on in verse 17. How priceless, how precious are these plans. That's what that word thoughts means. Oh my goodness, God, you've got a billion love plans for me. You've got a day planner for every day of my life. And you, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, planned it. Wow. That's why David's just, his breath's taken away. How precious are these plans for me? Oh, God, how vast is the sum? I try to count them, but they what? They're more than the sand. <laughs> I cannot even count the day planner. Every day you have planned a billion ways to love me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So now you can answer one question. What ties together the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. What ties the three together? Love. Love. It's omniscient love. It's omnipresent what? Love. It's omnipotent what? Love. That's the whole purpose of the psalm. It ties it together. God's knowing is a knowing love. God's presence with me is a present what? Love. 
His omnipotence is an omnipotent what? Love. Now, if I can really get that in my heart. Now, I'm not talking. This, it takes the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? You know, if Satan has one plan to trick you, you know that everything Satan does in your life in one way or another only has one point. He wants to tell you what they say about Leah. Unloved. That's all he wants to do. He wants you to doubt the love of God. He wants you to feel or believe you're what? Unloved. That's what he wants more than anything. Because he knows if he can convince you that you're not loved, he's gotcha. He's gotcha. He'll be able to rule your life. And it takes a miracle. It's so easy to say, well, of course God loves me, right? I mean, we say it all the time. Oh, yes, my Father loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus what? Jesus loves me, this I know. Of course the Holy Spirit loves me. But it's all the difference in the world to know it deep in here. Supernatural revelation, experiential love where you know the love of the Father and the love of Jesus and the love of the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way. It's not just an intellectual comment or statement or a verse. It is so profoundly real in your soul that you feel it and taste it and know it supernaturally. You see the difference? You see the difference? And when David experiences that, now he's not hiding anymore. Do you see that? Your heart... You can think of your heart being like in my hand right here. You know, your heart. Your heart can be like a flower where you just open it to God. You just open It's something you do. You just open up your heart like a flower to the sunlight of God's love. And that flower begins to what? Bloom and grow. But by nature, we're what? No way. No way I'm opening this baby up. Closed off from God and closed off from people. Here's my heart and I'm building a Fort Knox wall thicker and higher than the walls of Jericho. There's my heart in the middle. Here are the Jericho walls. It is surrounded and God's not going to get to me and neither is anybody else. And I'm going to live myself with my heart enclosed in the Jericho walls. It's hard to let go, isn't it? What happened with David was he began to not just talk about God's love, but experience it. Now what's happening? This omniscient love, this omnipresent love, and this omnipotent love are becoming so real that he's not hiding himself anymore. Now what is he saying? Search me. See the difference, Booty? Isn't it unbelievable? Now he's wide open. There's nothing covering that heart. He is opening it up for the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. No more hiding. Hide and seek is turned from hiding to what? Seeking. And I'll tell you what, I know it because I know my own heart a little bit. I know my own heart. And this isn't just about your relationship with God. It's about your relationship with what? People. People. To learn how to stop hiding. Stop hiding. Stop hiding from God. Stop hiding from people and to learn how to open up your heart to God and to people. It's not easy, is it? Because we're often afraid of being what? We're afraid of being hurt. 
We're afraid of being hurt. And so what happens is by nature we close, we hide. And what David learned was how to open up his heart so that he actually wanted God to search him and not hide from him. So now when we see the conclusion, we understand what was going on. The omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God and the omnipotence of God to David were love. And once that love became not just intellectual, not just emotional, but supernatural revelatory love to where he was experiencing it, now all of a sudden he wants to be searched. And he opens his heart up and he's crying out to God to search him. So what, I'm going to answer the three questions. Okay? Number one, what are your two greatest needs? Your two greatest needs. You know what your two greatest needs are? And they go together. Your two greatest needs by far are to be loved and to love. That's what you were created for. You were created in the image of who? God. God is what? Love. You were created to be loved, but not just to be loved, to what? To love. You're, not just to take it in. You are created for your whole life to be being loved and loving others. So that you're being loved by what? God. And you're being loved by people. And your whole life is loving God and what? Loving people. Your two greatest needs are to be loved and to love. To be loved by God and to love God. To be loved by people. You can't do it in isolation. And to love people. That's why one of the reasons you need to ask God over and over, Lord, what is going on in Brian's life that causes Brian to hide from you and to hide from people? You know, you know, especially some like pastors, especially and people who uh, lead other people, they think, well, of course, it's just me and God, right? So, you know, I just get along with God. I don't need Mark. You know, I just get along. And it doesn't work, does it? You've got to learn how to love people and be loved by people. To love people. People. <laughs> and all their nastiness. To love people. You know, that, that is the happiest people in the world. I can't remember that silly song years ago when he wrote it. You know, the Who did that song? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that Barb Streisand? Yeah. And, you know, the happiest people in the world are people who have learned how to, to be loved and to love. They've, they've, they have learned how to tear down the Jericho walls. And they have learned how to open up their heart to God and to people despite all the pain, all the heartache, and all the hurt. They, they have figured out that there's nothing greater than loving and being loved. And so the year, it's not the year of the rat. <laughs> 2020 is the year of the love. It's the year of the love. It's to learn how this year to be loved and to love is to learn how to love, to learn how to be loved, and to learn how to love. Isn't it amazing how we can isolate ourselves to keep from being loved? Yeah. yeah, we can hide from God, hide from people. We can come up with six billion different ways to build our Jericho so that nobody's going to get in this fortress. Not me. Not me, that David said, where can I flee from your presence? Isn't that great? I go to the, I love that last phrase, I go to the remotest part of the sea, and even there your good hand, your hand of love, your hand of blessing lays hold of me. 
I say that even the darkness will overhear me. In the darkest dark, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit grab you with a hand of love and blessing and nothing can keep him from loving you. Isn't that the greatest thing in the world? And if you can learn this, it takes miracles to do it, you'll stop building walls and you'll learn how to open your life up to God and to people. And the amazing thing is you'll begin praying that psalm. Search me, oh God. <laughs> Past, present, and future. I want you to search me, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit. I'm tired of playing the hiding game. I'm tired of it. I want you to know my heart. I want you to test me and try me. I want you to examine me, see if there's any harmful, sinful, hurtful ways in me, and lead me in the Jesus way. And what happens is you'll begin to stop hiding and seeking, not just loving God, but loving people. And you'll begin to pray this psalm. That's the final application, to pray this psalm and practice it. Pray it, because you know how to pray it, but then put it into practice. Ask God to show you how, right? Show me, Lord, how I can be loved and loved. How I can be loved by you and love you, Father Jesus, Holy Spirit. How I can love people and be loved by people. How I can love and be loved. A lot of people aren't very good at being loved, are they? They don't, they don't, that, that's, a, that's a serious flaw. You were created. Your greatest need is to love and be loved by God and people. Let people love you. <laughs> love people. <laughs> Let God love you. Love God. Anything in your life that gets in the way of your being loved and loving, whether it's God or people, is going to harm you. And you and I all need to change, don't we? That God will show us. He wants us to love. Love is the greatest. Being loved and loving. And then lastly, this is why this is such a powerful um, prayer. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And when you understand those truths in Psalm 100 and um, 39, then Ephesians 3 makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, well, why do you think Paul prays this? And I'll pray it for you and for me from, from Ephesians 3, verse 14 and following. This is why he prays this prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before God the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I'm praying that he'll give you according to the riches of his glory to strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner man so that Christ will live in your heart through faith and that you'll be what? Rooted in love. And what? Grounded in love. But the next thing is what he really wants. And that you will be able to comprehend supernatural revelation with all the saints, the breadth of God's love, the length of God's love, the height of God's love, and the depth of God's love. And that you'll be made able to really know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because people just don't know their what? Love. Because Satan's no more intact. He wants to do everything he can to make you doubt God's love for you. David understood the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotent love of God. And once he understood that supernaturally, now all of a sudden he's desiring to be searched. You see the difference? all the difference in the world. Let me pray for us. Father, do ask and seek and knock in Jesus' name for all these truths and things we've discussed to be supernaturally applied to each one of us by the Holy Spirit. Teach us how to love and to be loved, both in our relationships with the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and our relationships with all people, 
all people. Lord, we just want to know how to love and to be loved. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.